I'm fully aware that this paper is going to bother some of you in the room, and I apologize, but for others, if you need scratch paper, I found some. <laughs> As we begin this morning, let's keep your Bibles open to Galatians both 3 and 4, your tablet, your phone, however you're reading Scripture this morning. We're going to be in both of those chapters uh, this morning. And I want to make a connection uh, from where we were last week. Um, to where we're going this week, and we'll do that by going to Galatians 3.26, which says, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. And we made this point last week, and it, it's important to reflect on as we move forward because we're building on it this week. Your existence does not make you a child of God. Faith in Jesus Christ makes you a child of God. That's what we said last week that's important and foundational to where we are this week. Indeed, we are created in the image of God, and that matters, that's important, that's foundational to everything theologically we believe as Christians. But that's not the redemption that Paul is speaking of here. That doesn't put you in right relationship with God. That simply tells us how important we are that God would want to redeem us in our brokenness. It's faith in Jesus Christ that makes you a child of God. And if it's not, if there's some plan B, if there's some other way for this to happen, that we could be made right in relationship with God some other way, then that makes a mockery of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We end up looking at Jesus and saying, you know, that was a wonderful gesture that you died for me, but I found another way. Thanks anyways. That's the importance of what Paul's talking about here. So we build on that this week. We build on that with, um, Terry, can you pull me down just a little bit? I'm ringing up here. We're not, we don't come in here ready to go and just good. Think about, let's, as we build on this, let's think about this. With, I have three kids, with each of my three kids when they were babies. Uh, the last one was a baby seven years ago. I could make the same joke. And that is, uh, if you're in a conversation with somebody, how are things going, how's the baby doing, all that kind of stuff, and then you finally get to the point where you can put in the punchline of, you know, but they're really acting like a baby. Right, and it's not that funny, but it's funny to me in the moment. So uh, I thank you, Mike, for that courtesy laugh. But it works with kids. We understand how kids work. We know that within their first uh, a couple years of life, first one to five years of life, they're going to act like kids. Sometimes they're going to do things that, even if it embarrasses us a little bit, or we say, I wish they wouldn't have done that, we know that it's age appropriate. So after church today, if, uh, if all the cookies are gone when a kid goes through that's maybe three years old and they throw a tantrum because that happened, there wasn't a cookie, there wasn't what they wanted, you know, it might be a moment where parents are like, oh, you know, pull them aside, do what you got to do to take care of the problem. But that's normal. If after worship today, we go to the cookie line and Brian eats the last cookie, and I'm next in line, and I fall to the floor with a tantrum, not appropriate for a 40-year-old, right? That's not age-appropriate. We recognize the difference. And that puts us in the category of understanding this week's uh, point, which is a child of God grows. So faith in Jesus Christ makes you a child of God, but then you don't just stay there. You don't just stay stagnant. You don't not grow. You grow if you're a child of God. And consider that with physical birth, a child, a, an infant, triples in birth 
uh, in their birth weight within the first year of life. They grow. We wouldn't expect anything less. As children grow up, they begin to recognize people and faces better. They begin to act in, in ways appropriate to the age. As they're babies, they begin to grasp things. They begin to jabber, and it's really cute when it happens. They're starting to figure out how to talk and make words. They begin to learn to share. We teach them things like, you know, hitting isn't the way to do this. We use our words. They grow, and we expect that. We expect physical growth from people. We expect emotional growth from people. But when it comes to spiritual growth, shouldn't we also expect that that's a natural part of what's supposed to happen in life? Isn't that how God designed it? That we would grow in all ways, including spiritually. A child of God grows. So just as a child grows physically, we should expect that children of God grow spiritually. That's where we're going this morning. And Paul's telling us a little bit about what it means to live into that. Let's go then to Galatians 3.14. As I said, we're in both 3 and 4 today. They connect very closely. And last week we read this as our key text. It says, He, that's Jesus, He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit children of God receive that promise of the Spirit. And if we are children of God, then we are, and we heard the text this morning, heirs of God's kingdom, and we have a Father in heaven. And that's important to distinguish. We don't just have a guardian in heaven, we don't just have an overseer in heaven, and we don't just have a distant, unknowable force in heaven. We have a Father in heaven. Paul tells us. Let's start with the issue of being heirs. Um, an heir inherits something, pretty plainly. We hope it's something worth inheriting. Sometimes people have inherited things they didn't want, of course, but quite often it's something that's valuable and something that we are interested in. Paul tells us that those who are redeemed, that's the key, those who are redeemed inherit the Spirit of his son and God's kingdom. That is, all that God owns, eventually they're, they're uh, co-laborers in that and they will inherit that as well to live with God in that kingdom. There's both a now and a later to this, what that inheritance is. You don't get the fullness until later, but you get to experience some of it now by the power of God's spirit working in us and through us. And that redemption piece is important. It's the restored relationship. Last week we pointed out that really behind that word redeem uh, is ransom, actually, in this specific instance. That is the purchase price of somebody who's been kidnapped or more uh, appropriately here, somebody who was in slavery and has, their freedom has now been purchased. They've been manumitted. Now they're redeemed. They have the certificate of freedom. I'm no longer a slave. That's the word that's being employed here. But it's important to recognize that there's a relational change that happens for those who are redeemed. This is that difference between being created and being redeemed. We can be created in the image of God, but can be completely out of step and out of shape with our relationship with God. Redeemed is to restore that. About a dozen years ago, when I was a hospital chaplain in the Chicago area, uh, we had one of my colleagues um, had a, a son come in, and he had to go, you know, in his 60s, 
uh, had to go identify and do the arrangements for his mother who had just passed away. They had to go down to the morgue and do all the stuff down there that you have to do. And uh, then he left. An hour later, his older sister came with one of her children and found that same colleague. Had no idea her brother had been there, but the colleague said, oh, your brother was here just an hour ago. And she said, what? We haven't talked to him in 20 years. None of us have. Why was he here? What was he doing? Ah, he wants the money. That's what he was trying to do. Why does he have a claim? He has this estranged relationship, and yet he comes back to get the benefits. Does your relationship with God ever look like that estranged relative? Where you know you're created, you know that you believe God exists, you believe God even has good things for you, but you haven't spoken in years. Paul says, if you fit in that category, be careful, you might be a slave to sin still and not a child of God yet. And he makes a distinction then as he goes on. We'll go to chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Paul says, what I am saying is that as long as an heir is under age, he's no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. Legally speaking in the world, the Roman Empire that Paul is writing in, slave and child had functionally the same legal status as property basically under their father. There were, of course, distinctions that were to be made, but at a, at a basic level, they're both property under the guidance or trusteeship of a father. There's, of course, a difference in that one's an heir and one's not. One has something to look forward to, to grow into, and one does not. And so Paul talks about, through this whole verse, chapters 3 and 4, he's using this issue of the law to talk about living in slavery to the law, that that's also living by the flesh or the sinful nature versus living by the spirit. And we pointed this out about the law last week, that the law is not bad. In fact, Paul points out the purpose of the law in chapter 3, verse 24. He says, So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. It's perfectly good, perfectly functional, but it has a function. And the function is much like you and I getting to work during the week or to the store or wherever we go. You could get in your car. You could drive there. You could get to the parking lot. And then do you just stay in the car? No, you go to your destination, right? The law is not the destination. The law is the car. The law is the vehicle to get you from point A to point B, as Paul is telling us. It's Jesus who fulfills the law in the end. And that's why in, in Christ we have our redemption, not in the law we have our redemption. The law teaches, the law shows us, the law teaches us what it means to walk with God. But it doesn't actually restore the relationship. That's what Jesus does. It doesn't actually put us right or justify us. That's what Jesus does by fulfilling the law and redeeming us. Then Paul goes on, verses 26 and 27 of chapter 3. He says, So in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. That's our main point that we made last week. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have done what? Clothed yourselves with Christ. Again, in Paul's day, Roman Empire, a uh, Roman citizen child would wear the toga 
of a child. It was distinguished from that of an adult. Might have a purple sash or purple stripe or something on it that distinguishes these are kids' clothes, not grown-up clothes. And, and Paul, in the background, is making some kind of a distinction uh, about what kind of clothing we're wearing. So the child would wear the toga pretextus, it was called, until they were 15, and a male Roman child would then go through a ceremony, essentially, where they got the toga virilis, the white toga of an adult. And they were introduced to public life. They'd go down to the forum and be introduced to what it means now to be an adult. And even in some cases, they might even take their favorite toy from their child, uh, child years and get rid of it. Away with childish things. I'm now an adult. I'm dressed like an adult. I put away the childish things. In your relationship with God, have you said yes to redemption and Jesus and no to anything other than that? No to childish ways. No to the past before redemption. Are you a child of the Father? Are you growing up to be an heir? That's what Paul's asking. Have you clothed yourselves with Christ? And we can see that Paul tells us what it means if you are a child of God. Chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Paul says, Because you are his sons, God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts. The Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God made you also an heir. Let's say two things about this here that I think are important for us. If you're a child of God, Paul says, guess what? God's Spirit is in you. The Spirit of His Son is in you if you're a child of God. That means God's presence is with you, and you're going to recognize that His presence is with you and in you. And I would say if you want to test that out a little bit, here are some ways that you can see the fruit of that Spirit with you. This is not exhaustive. These are just a couple examples and kind of moving towards the fruit of the Spirit that we'll get to in a couple weeks. But I would suggest that if God's Spirit is in you and you're experiencing some of the fruit of that, you're going to have a greater sense of contentment with what you have rather than longing for what you don't. FOMO, that fear of missing out on experiences, on what your neighbors have, on what other people have, on what other people make, those things are going to continue to be diminished the more you recognize God's Spirit in you. Because you recognize where your true contentment is, and you have God's power helping you recognize that with regularity. Does that mean you're going to be fully content? No, we're not perfect in this life. That's, that's what is to come, where we're just living into being heirs, but that there's going to be an increase in that. There's going to be an increase in things like patience for those who experience God's Spirit in them. The fuse will be longer before frustration as you live into that. There will be reduced anxiety. Not complete lack of anxiety. We'll always experience that in this life, but it will reduce. Why? Because we can recognize that God has been faithful. God will be faithful. And not only that, if God's Spirit is in you, we can recognize, I talk to God regularly. We're in communication. My anxiety is cast on Him. 
And you may sit there and say, well, I want more of that. I want to experience more of God's Spirit in me, and I would suggest you can develop that. Of course, you can't make it work. You have to receive God's, the Spirit of God's Son through Jesus Christ. But once it's there, you can develop being able to recognize the fullness of that Spirit more and more. And a simple thing is you need to call on God's voice. I mean, it's, it's really that simple. And it's one of those things that, that can be very intimidating to some of us. But the more we call on God's voice, the more we're going to be able to hear when God responds. If you think of it this way, if somebody keeps calling you over and over, and you pick up the phone and talk to them, and the next time they call, the caller ID comes, and you say, you know what, I don't want to talk to them today. Then you pick it up the next time, but then the next two times they call, you don't pick it up. You pick it up that third time, then the next time they call, you don't pick it up four times, and it just keeps going on until you finally don't pick up the phone, right? That's kind of how God's Spirit works, too, with us. God's knocking But the less you respond to God, eventually the Spirit will stop knocking. And so we need to be in tune to hear God around us and God's voice in us and recognize God's presence by calling on God. And it can be as simple as, you know what, God, I'm going into this meeting and I'm anxious. Can I experience your presence? Can you speak to me so I know you're there? It's as simple as those kinds of things. But I would say, it goes beyond just triaging, too, in those difficult circumstances to regularity of trying to hear God's presence. And so the the tip I'd give you is to build in markers into your day, into your everyday life, so you're actually calling on God and you can hear God clearly. One of my friends, when he drives to work, he has markers on the way to work. At the Red House, I pray for this. At the defense post, I pray for that. When I turn on this street, I'm praying for this. I know I've told you before, I have markers that I try and put in my day, especially when I start the day of praying for prayer of confession and to hear God's voice from the very beginning when I'm doing my sort of morning hygiene routine to get ready, because I'm going to do it every day, thanks be to God, right? And I want to hear God's voice clearly throughout the day. I start the day that way, and I try and stop from time to time to make sure that I'm, I'm open to hearing God's voice no matter what happens in the good and the bad. The second thing we can recognize, if you're a child of God, God's Spirit will be with you, yes, and God will be your true Father. And I recognize whenever we bring this up, some people have great relationships with their earthly father, some have terrible. Uh, When we're talking about God as your true Father, we mean the best experiences you could have amplified and the worst experiences, the opposite thereof. That's what we're talking about. God as your true Father is the, the, the best manifestation of what a father is intended to be. And God indeed is our true Father if we're a child. Paul even says uh, that by the Spirit of His Son in our hearts, the Spirit calls out, Abba, Father. The very words of Jesus, both Aramaic and Greek, there is what's being used. Jesus would have spoken Aramaic. And that word Abba simply means Father. Sometimes people kind of push it a little bit to mean like Daddy. It means Father. But still, that personal relationship the words of Jesus would be on our lips too. That we would have a relationship with God like Jesus does. That close, that intimate is what this means. And if you want to kind of test the fruit of that and say, okay, is this something that I'm experiencing or what does this look like? I would suggest that, that if you're recognizing God as your true father, prayer is going to feel incredibly natural and not contrived. 
Now, prayer is actually a hard muscle to flex for a lot of us, but it's one of the most important muscles we have to flex. But if God is our true Father, it's going to feel more natural the more we go into prayer. Because it's like having a conversation with a friend. It's like having a conversation with those good relationships that we have. If God is your true Father, your hunger for His Word, Scripture, is going to go up. Both the amount and the timing and all of that, you're going to sense an increased appetite for God's voice in that way. And if God's your true Father, you're going to experience an increased appetite for His people who also have this appetite. You're going to want to worship together with other sisters and brothers in Christ who are praying, Abba, Father. That's the fruit of this. And if you say, I want more of that, and you've said yes to Jesus Christ, then, then what I would suggest, the, the discipline to develop the muscle, the flex, is to try and learn to pray like Jesus. And now you say, well, that seems pretty wide and vague. But just open up a gospel and find where Jesus, or Google it later, prayers of Jesus. I did it this week. You can find them. And Jesus prays something like, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You can stop right there. All of a sudden, you're challenged if I'm praying like Jesus. Okay, am I actually glorifying God as his child? And now you have something to pray about, right? God, how can I glorify you better today? God, how, how can I hear your voice so that I can really reflect what it means to hallow your name in my actions and my words? How about this? Jesus prays, not my will, but yours. You can stop right there if we're going to pray like Jesus. Now all of a sudden we're confronted. Do I actually know God's will? Not simply for my life, just in general. Do I know God's will? Because it also relates to my life. How will I discern God's will? Scripture. Am I doing God's will? You're confronted with all these questions that you can now take to God in prayer. God, I, I need the answer to these things, and I want to hear you. I want to experience your presence so I can do what's right in your name and glorify you as I do that. If you're a child of God, God's Spirit will be with you, and God will be your true Father. A child of God grows to be like the Father. That's the long and short of it all. That's why those things matter. That's why those things are true, because a child of God is growing. A child of God is growing to be like their Father, and they give up their slavery to sin to become a child of God. A child of God grows up to be like the father and they give up the childish ways of the past to become a true child, an heir of the kingdom. A child of God grows up to be like the father because they're going to grow up to become an heir of God's kingdom, filled with the Spirit, loved and free. And isn't that what we want? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, some of us have a genuine fear of spiritual growth. What will I lose? What will I need to give up, we ask. The fear of an unknown future with you keeps us from our best future with you. Help us to not settle for slavery to sin. Free us from a mediocre freedom filled with anxiety and lacking real hope. Release us from the chains and stains of a life that contradicts your best for us. Make us your children, growing up to be like Jesus. 
Let us never be satisfied with spiritual malnourishment, with being childish in faith, but heirs of the kingdom. Nurture each of us as your children so we grow up, not succumbing to pride or fear, but trusting in you, our Heavenly Father, who knows who we are today and who we are redeemed to become through Jesus Christ. Amen.